So the 2023 football season is now officially in the books, but I'm guessing we still got a few things to talk about here, Mitch. Greg, I'm exhausted. Um, <laughs> I tweeted a lot this weekend. You did, on, uh, yes. On Friday and Saturday, I tweeted a lot. So that's that's one thing. And then the the conversations and Twitter talk starting late Friday night and then pretty much all day Saturday just is mentally draining. So, <clears throat> yeah, we got some things to wrap up here and uh, discussions that will probably never end. Talking Illinois high school football. If your goals are as high as you talk about, tonight's the night you go out and just take one more step. It's a view from the West. And it starts right now! Welcome into View from the West podcast, the podcast covering Illinois high school football on the western side of the state of Illinois. I'm your host, Greg Armstrong, joined, as always, by Mitch Stormer. Mitch, you've been pounding the keys on Twitter, on the X, for many of day, many of hours here. Yep. But, uh, you know, you've gotten a little bit of a break. Hopefully you got a little bit of a break on, uh, you know, Sunday and into Monday. And now here we are back, back hitting the airwaves. You, you, you rested up, you rejuvenated. Yeah, that was, that was quite the workout to, uh, to end the year. I'm, I'm glad that that aspect of it is over after what, 14, 15 weeks of, uh, of doing that on game days. So uh, yeah, that was, you know, it, it was exciting though. Um, obviously this is one of our favorite weekends of the year. Lots of great football. There was a lot of great games um, that I hope we don't overshadow, but um, you know, keeping up with everything and, and making sure we send out some graphics and give our congratulations to all the schools. That was, that was fun. That's that what makes doing this podcast and being active on Twitter a lot of fun this time of year. Yeah. If you liked the uh, you know, the tweets and the updates coming on, on the Twitter, on the, uh, on the X over there, I give all the credit to Mitch Stormer. If you, if you appreciated that, give a round of applause to Mitch, Mitch, you were, you were a busy man. I appreciate it. You were keeping literal, almost in real time game updates for every game, especially in the early games, one through four a, but even into the seven and eight a, you were keeping everybody updated. You had our, uh, you know, our team graphics, our congratulations graphics ready to roll when the teams were crowned the state champion. So I appreciate it. I know the listeners appreciate it. It was great work there. So now we got to break it all down. We got to talk about it. I, th I think too, Greg, we made some uniform friends. Uh, yeah, we had some, we got some great information from some sources, uh, whether it be alumni from some school or, or we got direct, uh, we got tagged in uh, what Mount Carmel was going to wear. That was great. Yeah. Um, some great uh, history. Uh, historical background on JCA and some other schools. So yeah, it was, it was fun. Again, that's, that's the stuff that makes it fun and worthwhile. Connecting with teams and programs, not just around our area, around the state. That, that is, that is a lot of fun. Well, Mitch, before we get into all of it, you know who we got to thank. Yeah, sure do. Once again, tonight's episode is brought to you by our friends at Breedlove Sporting Goods, Western Illinois premier sporting goods store for uniforms, apparel, equipment, awards, and online team stores. They provide all the same sporting goods services as the big nationwide companies do, but with a faster turnaround and their uniform pricing is a fraction of the cost you are probably used to. They offer names such as Adidas, Under Armour, and Nike, and are extremely responsive with any inquiries. With a primary focus on the western side of the state of Illinois, Breedlove Sporting Goods is the fastest way to outfit your team. Check them out on Facebook or at breedlovesports.com. 
or shoot Cal Breedlove an email at calbreedlove at gmail.com for more information. Thank you so much for that, Mitch. And of course, if you're looking for that perfect gift for your high school football player or a perfect gift if you're a head coach or an athletic director for your program, I encourage you to check out Matthewson's mini helmets. They offer totally custom mini helmets or decals for your school. You can find them on Facebook or on Twitter. They were the sponsor of our Matthewson's Mini Helmets Player of the Week. We awarded one helmet award, customized helmet per week to the player that stood out to us, the MVP of each week. We appreciate them helping us out with that. Again, Matthewson's Mini Helmets, you can find them on Facebook or on Twitter. If you like what we're doing here, if you want to support the podcast in your own way, we encourage you to head out to PayPal. You can now support us by heading to paypal.me slash viewfromwestpod. Again, we appreciate any support you can give us. You can head to PayPal. You can support us that way, paypal.me slash viewfromwestpod. It's a passion project for it, but it does take a little bit of time, and there are some fees and uh, you know some costs associated with the uh, weekly podcast. So any way you can support us, we would appreciate it. You can also find View from the West on YouTube. Head to YouTube, search View from the West. Mitch, we were tweeting out a bunch last week. We had coaches' interviews with both mm-hmm. Rick Aaron from Lena Winslow and head coach Brad Dixon from Camp Point Central. We, of course, had our uniform preview for the state championship games. That's a you know visual podcast built in itself. You can listen to it in audio, but you're not getting the full experience unless you go back and watch the video there. Yeah, let me just say, you, you gave me too many kudos for uh, running the Twitter account, but I got to give you all the credit in the world for that video. Um, I, I know the work that you put into it. It's, it's more than I can explain because I don't even know how it works, but um, <laughs> for, for all the graphics and, and making the, the mock-ups and the display for all those different games, and then you, you put them all together, um, you, you deserve a whole lot of credit for that. That was a very popular video. Got a lot of good uh, good notes from that, good viewership on that. So I'm going to throw that kudos right back to you for putting that video together. Well, of course, we got to give a special shout out to any um, you know teams or any uh, photographers that provided their photos for us. We gave them their shout outs during that episode, but also a really special shout out to Illinois Football Project for providing us with the helmet graphics. Those look excellent. I think that really, you know, as the Big Lebowski would say, it really tied the room together. That really, that really brought it all together for us. It was an excellent look. Yeah, I, I did see that the uh, Missouri Helmet Project was trying to uh, advocate for having an episode like that for Missouri. So, hey, look, we're available by request. <laughs> uh, it might, might come with a fee if we're covering a different uh, state, but hey, we love uniforms, and I, I don't know what they do in Missouri, but if they're looking for it, hey, maybe there's something we can do down the road. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, it was a ton of fun. Mitch, We, you've consistently branched us out farther and farther around the state, and now we're putting our services out there for multiple states. So here we, we're really going to get busy. Yeah, where there's a market, I'll find it. There you, <laughs> absolutely. And I will say, getting back to the editing process of the, uh, of the uniform episode, available now on YouTube, of course, uh, Mitch, mm-hmm. I texted you throughout the week. Uh, I was putting my poor little laptop to the absolute test on this one. Yep. I mean, it was it was struggling to keep up with the video rendering and the graphics and all of it because it was high quality stuff. When we're getting those high quality images of the helmet graphics from the Illinois Helmet Project or Football Project and uh, the video and the photos we were throwing in there, it was a lot. It only died twice on me. That was your old Mac. 
Thank you, sir. Yeah, and I've been using it for, yeah, I mean, since we started this podcast and even before that, it's probably seven plus years old now. It was struggling. Yeah. See, that that just goes to the quality of the Apple products because you know what I say, Greg? Apple, not a sponsor, but could be. <laughs> could be. It, yes, a new Apple laptop would certainly keep up and do a great yeah. job. I would take one if they were willing to, you know, send one my way. <laughs> If anyone from Apple is listening, please get, please get in touch. <laughs> yeah, that's one way you can support the pod. There you go. All right, Mitch, are we ready to get into the results from Hancock Stadium from uh, <clears throat> Illinois State? First of all, when, yeah. you were, when you were watching it, uh, it looked good. Presentation looked good. It looked like a mm-hmm. good environment for state championship football. Uh, yeah, looks like a great venue. Uh, we, we got good praise from uh, Kyle. And Logan, who were at the game, they, they spoke highly of the facilities there. Uh, the presentation itself was, was great in terms of the broadcast. Um, there, there was a little bit of issues with uh, NFHS in the beginning. I, I feel like it got better, uh, at least on my end, throughout the day. Um, but the, the IHSA, as we've talked about before, as we have had issues or we bring up issues with IHSA in the past, we've always said that their, their state championship presentation and broadcast is always really top-notch. This year, no different. You get Edgy Tim on there for all eight games. Um, and again, it's just, it's great to have the broadcasters and all the graphics and, and this, that, and the other thing. So yeah, kudos to the IHSA for putting on a great weekend. Yep. All right. Well, here we go. We started the championship games off, of course, in class 1A. That was the game we had our eyes on the most. That was the team from our area, Lena Winslow. But it's Camp Point Central grabbing the headlines mm-hmm. in this one. They get the win 14 to nothing over Lena Impressive defensive performance here from CPC. They held Lee Win to 164 yards of total offense, shutting the Panthers out for the first time since 2007. I mean, yeah. we thought this was going to be a game. We thought it was going to be a battle just based on the experience Camp Point had coming back, and maybe they had learned some things. They were really seemed to be executing at a high level, and boy, did that ever translate into a state championship game here for them. Yeah, I think it was their. I think it was the first time Lee Wynn had been shut out in a half since 2015, and it was only the ninth time that Lee Wynn has been shut out in the 27 years that Rick Aaron has been there. So, yeah, this was this was quite the performance from this defense. Yeah, really impressed. Uh, Caden Neekamp led the way with 11 tackles. What do we say? He's only a sophomore, junior. Sophomore. Mm-hmm, yeah. Sophomore. So. Um, you know, great effort from him. Elijah Gennenbacher was the workhorse on both sides of the ball. He had 12 total tackles, rushed 24 times for 131 yards. He scored the game's only two touchdowns. He looked like that workhorse type of back. But really, mm-hmm. in reality this year, Camp Point Central had kind of spread out, you know, who was carrying the ball for them. They really weren't letting one or even two running backs carry the load. Certainly Pabin, you know, led the way, did great things throughout the year. Gennenbacher got his touches as well, but it was interesting talking to coach Dixon before the game. And I asked him about kind of sharing the workload throughout the season. And he really said that was to keep guys healthy and fresh. They made a conscious effort to know, to not keep pounding the same guy because that risk of injury or just, you know, being tired, just, you know, wearing down, it increases the more you use them. So I thought they did a really good job. I know that throughout the off season, throughout, you know, they're getting ready that they do a lot of speed training. They focus a lot on that sort of aspect. And so I think that that's a big part of 
keeping guys fresh, keeping guys healthy. And it seemed like they really saved that heavy workload for Genenbacher right now. Clearly, he can handle it. He did the job, did it really well, but they saved it for when it mattered most in a state championship game. Yeah, and from what I understand, that CPC utilizes the same kind of training that Lee Wynn does. Yes, um, yep. I, I've talked before that uh, Lee Wynn's head track coach and the football speed coach is uh, a former uh, teammate of mine in high school, Coach Rickles, Coach Austin Rickles, um, and he had, he had said that they – both teams do the same sort of thing. So it's just another kind of another thing that both schools uh, share that they look alike, they play alike, they, and they train alike. So yeah, the similarities between these two programs are, are endless really. And now you've, you've seen CPC kind of take that step up to where Lee Wynn has been for so long. Yeah. You know, you kind of mentioned it right there that this CPC team has kind of been building up as a program that's why I think, like, even Kyle mentioned it. I should give a plug to, if you want to hear more about this game, go check out the Instant Reacts podcast. Mitch and I recorded with Kyle Kampmeyer from NUICfootball.com and also Logan Walters from uh, WIVC Football on Twitter. They were both there walking the sidelines or in the press box, and they had, uh, you know, eyes on it. They had really good insights to this game. But you mentioned, you kind of joked with Kyle that, you know, he he seemed like he was in a pretty good mood for – watching yeah. the team he covers and Lee win lose, lose this state championship game. But he really referenced that he was, you know, proud of this program. He really likes what coach Dixon has done. Again, it alludes to kind of what you're talking about. They've built their program very similar to Lee win or very similar to Forreston or other teams in the Northwest upstate Illini. And it's easy to like, you know, what coach Dixon is doing there in that aspect. And for to see this team slowly build up and to work so hard towards it, I think just in any sense, you know, you don't, you hate to see Lena Winslow lose in this case, but you're, you're happy for coach Brad Dixon and for this CPC program to be rewarded for the effort they've put in, you know, to build this program to what it is. Right. Um, CPC is certainly a worthy, uh, uh, what's the word, a, a worthy, uh, a worthy opponent for sure. And then a worthy program to kind of take the mantle from Lee win for, for the year. Right. We're I was going to say maybe <laughs> temporarily. To, yep. Yeah. Not passing the torch just yet, but uh, a worthy holder of the torch, if you will. Yeah. It seemed like in talking to coach Dixon and kind of watching, you know, what had led up to it, that this camp point central team had really been executing at a high level throughout the playoffs. And it seemed like, they had a game plan set in place that they had really learned from the year before that coaches and players were ready for the challenge of Lena Winslow. They set up a game plan and they executed it. And I think hats off to them because it's easy to watch film and to, to, to locate what you need to do better. But Lena Winslow has proven that it's pretty hard to, even if you watch film, even if you scout them, it's pretty hard to go in and execute and get the job done defensively and do what you need to do to slow down that Panther attack. Right. And congratulations to Camp Point Central. They, they got the job done. And it seemed like really good sportsmanship on both sides of the ball that, you know, Camp Point Central, you know, was obviously, you know, thrilled to get the win, but that Lena Winslow was there to congratulate him. And it seemed like players and coaches alike were, you know, they showed good sportsmanship at the end of the game, you know, really, you know, patting each other up and, and giving the kudos. Yeah. Um, you know, going back just a minute, I, I really liked what Coach Aaron had said after the game. 
I believe he was talking to, to 92.1, which quick shout out to them, WFPS 92.1. They had the radio broadcast of this game. They were really good um, when the when NFHS was kind of going in and out and it was behind. And then actually for part of the second quarter, I had to I had to take one of the kids somewhere. So I was listening to this game in the car. So uh, again, quick shout out to 92.1 for the great broadcast. But after the game, I think Coach Aaron was talking to them and he said, look, Camp Point Central came and did what we've been doing to teams for a long time. So, you know, they obviously are, they, they recognize the type of talent that Camp Point Central has. And for them to, like you mentioned, it's hard to even have a game plan and go out and execute it against a team like Lee Wynn. And I, I, they did that and much more. So yeah. What more can you say about just a hats off to Camp Point Central, but going to what you said about the sportsmanship. Yeah, exactly. They, Obviously, after every game, you you have the handshake line between the two teams, but CBC had gotten the ball back, and they were just kneeling the clock out. And you, as the seconds clicked down, you you saw the players on the field start to congratulate each other, and you know they they made sure to do that before CBC ran to their sideline and, and started celebrating. So, again, we we've talked about it a lot that there's a lot of mutual respect between these two programs, and good to see that the players have that as well. Yeah. Like you mentioned, it, it was, you know, really cool to see that. Congratulations to Camp Point Central. But, hey, congratulations to Lena Winslow on another outstanding season. It's their yeah. seventh state title, seventh state trophy coming under head coach Rick Arend. And we got to give a shout-out. We got to talk about Gage Dunker. Finishes his yep. career with the NUIC single-season rushing record and touchdown record, going for 2,604 yards and 41 touchdowns this season. An incredible effort from him. Yeah, uh, an, another dunker in the line of dunkers, right? And he has uh, lived up to, you know, that family's legacy and, and, you know, put his own status on the mantle there. Like you mentioned, over 2,600 yards this year, 41 touchdowns. He had 73 rushing touchdowns in his career. That is the most in NUIC history, and his total yardage came out to four. 4,364 rushing yards, which is third all time in the NUIC. So anytime you're in the top three or even in the top one for any rushing category in the NUIC, you know, you had an outstanding career. So again, congratulations to Gage Dunker. Yeah. Yeah. Great effort from both teams. Great game in this class 1A state championship. Mitch, I'm in. I want this game a third year in a row. Let's get him back on the field again next year. Yeah, I, I, I know CPC brings quite a bit back. Gennenbacher's back. Uh, Caden Niekamp will be back. But, uh, you know, Lee Wynn's kind of gone through this year after year where they replace some key players, but they've always got guys waiting in the wings. So Coburn Lynch will be one of those guys coming back amongst many others. So, yeah, there's, there's no reason to believe that it couldn't happen for a third time. Yep. All right, you ready to get into Class 2A here? Let's mm -hmm. talk. 2A, Wilmington gets the win 28-3 over Athens. It's Kyle Farrell running for 192 yards, including a 78-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter. That brings the Wildcats a 2A state title for the second time in three seasons. So this Wilmington Wildcats program, we've talked a lot about them, Mitch, and they're, you know, they're back here on the top of Class 2A. Yeah, and it's their third title overall. They won a 3A title as well, all under head coach Jeff Reins. So it's it's a program that's really played well over the past couple of seasons. Um, what, what impressed me most on this one, Greg, is that their defense. Uh, we knew Athens had a good offense coming in, but the Wildcat defense was just outstanding all afternoon. 
limited Athens to 104 total yards. Wow. So yeah. They just never let the Warriors get into rhythm. Um, certainly with Wilmington's type of offense, they they like to hold on to the ball. Um, certainly both teams like to rush the ball so much so that there was not a single passing yard to be seen in this game. So not a single that. pass from either team. Incredible. I don't, I don't know if there was a pass attempt, but there was no passing yards. Okay. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, but again, we talked about this going into the semifinal game, I think, or maybe, yeah. no, maybe it was going into the final that Wilmington's path to this. And again, we talked about the two way North a lot. They had to go through gauntlet they had to go through tri-valley seneca and moroa forsyth who were all undefeated um and they are they came out of two-way north and they they come away here with a two-way title so congratulations to wilmington yeah really impressive effort there and you just talk about you know having to go through that gauntlet we knew two-way was tough and they saw it they saw a lot of really good teams on their way they pass every test they end the state champion so yep. speaking of passing every test mitch how about the Byron Tigers in class 3A? 3A, Byron gets the win 69-7 to over Mount Carmel. Byron shatters the IHSA record books with this one. They win their third state title in program history, their second in three years. They are, I mean, this program is, you know, getting better and better every year, and this is certainly a high watermark here. Yeah, and it's only going to get scarier for other yeah. teams in three days. Yeah. Um, it, it, just in, in this game alone, they ran for 10, ran for 10 touchdowns on the night. Uh, that was one of the many, many records that they would break, both in this game and on the season. This is I, – I don't, I don't think I knew this going in, that their quarterback is a freshman. <laughs> no, I was going to say I didn't know that either. Um, I, and I, I do think they mentioned on the broadcast that they 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 do rotate a little bit with a with their senior quarterback whose name I, I don't have, so apologize to him. But um, boy, Andrew Talbert, their freshman quarterback, 154 yards on the ground on five carries, and three of them went to the end zone. And um, I think a, quickly, I think a part of it is well deserved credit to his offensive line. But man, oh, he yeah. made he made some of his run look easy i mean he was just one yeah the one the one touchdown i don't remember if it was his first one or what it was but you know he's sprinting down the left sideline and he's got a mount carmel guy coming at him at an angle and just circle button spin moves right around (laughs) him right so for he doesn't look like a freshman um doesn't run like one he is so fast um and if if that wasn't enough their lead back caden constantine's a sophomore 153 yards, two touchdowns. You got junior halfback Braden Knoll had 103 yards on six rushes and a pair of touchdowns. So all those names I just mentioned are coming back along with at least two of those linemen that you mentioned. So boy, this this Byron team is is in for the long haul. No question about it. Yeah, I mean, they were going up against, I mean, obviously the offensive production there, but on the defensive side of the ball, they were going up against Blaine Sisson, a name we talked about. He yeah. was he was a Southern Illinois commit, which I liked. He flipped. He's now committed to Illinois, which I don't like quite right. as much. But either right. way, he had been a dynamic playmaker all year long for the Golden Aces, and he was really held in check. He 
I mean, he couldn't do very much. And I give him credit. He was battling. He was trying to do everything he could. He was a competitor. But this Byron defense was just all over it. Yeah, I think he didn't rush for many yards. Um, and I think he had 145 yards passing. But I think he came in averaging like 300 a game or 400 a game or something. Just something absurd. But um, as, as much as we've talked about this, this offense in this game, um, the defense finishes the year allowing under 100 points, which is absurd. Um, in this one, they had four first-half turnovers. Um, and again, part of that was was keeping Sisson in check. They had a couple interceptions, a couple fumbles. But again, the scariest part for me for this Tiger team is that a lot of this team comes back next year, um, including all three of those top running, running, uh, running options. Yeah. Well, we've kind of referenced it, but Mitch, go through the list here. Give us the rundown of records set by this Byron team. Whew. Okay. Um, <laughs> the bullet points are th- endless here in the notes. Right. I think I got all of them. I don't know. Um, and look, okay, this was a disclaimer that we, we kind of talked about with, uh, with Seuss and the DMs that we, we know that there's holes in the IHSA record book. We, we know that some of this stuff is um, dependent on either coaches submitting them or someone in the IHSA to verify them or, just to put them on the website, whatever. So it's, it's almost like you got to take it with a grain of salt, but at the same time, it is what it is. So if it looks like it's a record, then sure shooting, it's a record. So here, here's what we can tell so far. And if we miss something to the Byron listeners, I'm, I'm very sorry, but here we go. The Tigers set new IHSA records for the following most touchdowns in a season with 123 most rushing touchdowns in a season with an absurd 109 (laughs) most points scored in a season 823 the most points per game average 58.8 they had the largest point differential um in a season they were plus 729 they outscored their opponents by 729 points this year. That Jeez. breaks the record by, I think, 70, almost 80. I think it was 650 bar by our Coba. Take a deep breath. More coming. <laughs> uh, largest margin of victory in any IHSA state championship game at 62. They scored the most points in a 3A title game. Um, they were one point shy of of tying the record for most points in any class state championship game. That was 70. They had the most touchdowns in a three, a title game and tied the record for most touchdowns in any three, a playoff game again with 10, 530 yards. Rushing is second by uh, one or two yards uh, for the most in a three, a title game. I think it's two yards. Most rushing touchdowns in a three, a title game and a three, a playoff game. And more that I probably missed. Um, I, I talked. I sent this out on Twitter because I was just curious, and I, I didn't even know that this record book existed. But um, NF, NFHS has a record book on their website, and it's pretty good. The way that you can filter it, like that's an actually really cool feature, and, and it's organized very, very, very well. I, I have no idea how accurate it is. Not yeah. a clue. Yeah. But again, if we're going by that, if you're going by the NFHS national record book, um, 
Byron was top three. I think they were third in rushing touchdowns in the season and touchdowns in the season. And then their points scored finished in the top 10. Some of those teams play 16 game schedules. It's like teams in Texas. Um, so take that for what you will. But again, this was the most dominant team in IHSA history for my money. Cause when you're even, when you're even considering that they're in the top, whatever nationally all time, that's a special, special effort. So uh, congratulations to everyone there with the Byron Tiger program, because this was a season that, boy, it, those records will stand for a while. Mitch, you said you were busy this weekend on Twitter. The Byron game alone would be enough to wear someone out, try to tweet those updates. What? And no offense to Mount Carmel, but like it was over pretty early. And so yeah, yeah. it was just kind of like you, you kind of had time to look them up and then... Uh, yeah. By the time you found it, they had already scored again and you had to look it back up and make sure. So, um, yeah, again, this was a fun team to watch. Um, you know, they run that offense that we like and you can see why watching that game, if you didn't know anything about Byron and you watched that game, um, you would assume that they would set all sorts of records in the state and, and sure enough they did. So yeah, that was, uh, that was good to watch. Fun to see. Well, I want to say that some of the records they broke were previously held by Peoria, the Peoria high team that was setting right. all kinds of records a couple of years ago, putting up all that kinds once, of numbers. Yeah. Once scored 96 in a playoff game. <laughs> yeah. And so Byron beat some of their offensive records, which is incredible. Yeah. I mean, just that alone is a statement. So yeah, what a win, what a season for Byron. And I have a feeling we'll be talking about them again next year, man. Uh, give me a, Give me a Byron Princeton matchup somewhere in there yeah. next year. Cause they got a lot. Princeton's yeah. got a lot back. So I, I want to see yeah. that one play out. Yep. So, all right. Into class four, a, the last game we saw on Friday night, Rochester gets the win 59 38 over St. Lawrence. The weekend's highest scoring game saw the Rockets and head coach, Derek Leonard become nine and O in state championship game appearances, holding off a great effort from St. Lawrence to get their first title win since 2019. So man, if you're a if you're a betting man and you see Derek Leonard in a state championship game, go ahead and put your money on the Rockets cuz they are a perfect 9 and 0 now in state title games. Yeah, really really impressive from Rochester once again to have them back in the fold here. 494 yards of offense, six different Rocket players found the end zone on Friday night. Uh, I was really impressed, really liked watching their their lefty quarterback Brian Zill. I I Look, full disclosure, not quite sure how to pronounce either one of these last names, so I really apologize <laughs> to the Rochester family. Uh, Brian Zoloff and so, yeah. Nolan Rozowski with an M in front of it. Again, yep, I'm super yep. sorry. I don't really know. Um, you were Rizowski? fun to watch. There's yeah. my kudos. You were, you were a lot of fun to watch. Um, we, we had a record fall on this one, too, Greg. This game set the record for most combined points in a 4A title game, and the 59 points scored by Rochester is the most in a 4A uh, title game. Yes. Congratulations to Rochester getting the win. And that would be a pick that I got right, Mitch, because I chose Rochester's uniforms over St. Lawrence. And One of the few you got right, Greg, and that's a <laughs> teaser for later. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, um, <laughs> I did run, uh, I, I ran all the uniforms past my wife because yeah. she is, 
She's a graphic designer, instructional designer, so has an yep. eye for these things, has an eye for all sorts of, you know, design for font, for logos, for color schemes, all that. So I wanted to run all this by her. And mm-hmm. uh, Mitch, I have to say that uh, she did not, she did not side with you on St. Lawrence's uniforms. She uh, felt we like- make, We all make mistakes. <laughs> no, see, she kind of agreed with me, did not love the color scheme. And she- she said her critique was too many stripes. <laughs> it's a visual or it's an audio podcast, yeah. Mitch. You have to speak out loud. Your face said a lot, that's, though. That's absurd. Too too many stripes. That's absurd. And she wasn't no. wild about the so- the stripes being on the socks. She felt like that was that was kind of where it went too far. That's the best part. Oh <laughs> I knew God. it. So. You know, I don't know. I mean, it's two to one, though. You're going to have to find somebody to agree with you because it's two to one at this well, point. I'll tell you what, at STL Vikings, they they approve of my opinions. So I'll just be friends with them. They did. They did agree. Yep. Yep. All right. So, Mitch, this was a public school team getting the win over yep. a private school. And boy, does that start fireworks on Twitter these days. For uh four for four there on, uh, on Friday for the public schools. But yeah, this is where the discourse really started to get bad. Um, and there, <laughs> I laugh at this first part because it's really funny. We'll get into it later that people were starting to attack public schools and that was hilarious. <laughs> but then this is kind of when the ball started to kind of get pushed towards the Hill. And then Saturday morning, it was, it was flying through a town of people like just yeah. nonstop, but yeah. That's kind of a prelude to what we'll talk about in the second half of this episode. Yep. Um, Cause yeah, it, this, this is about right at the time that the, the initial conversation on Friday was different, but then it got into Saturday and it just went loose and crazy. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh that's a tease ahead for later. Second half of this episode, we'll get into it. What, whether, whether I want to, whether you want to or not, I feel like it's yeah. important. We'll get into the, the old private versus public debate, and we'll yep. we'll talk through it. But that's for later in the episode. Let's get through 5A through 8A here. Nazareth Academy gets the win over Julia Catholic, 38 to 20. Here's another couple of schools that probably get the uh, you know get the ball rolling on that debate, which which you yep. just referenced. Nazareth Academy becomes the first team in IHSA history to win a state title with five losses. And they're the first team to win a state title after starting their season at 0-4. So the Roadrunners go back-to-back in Class 5A. They won it two years in a row here now. They captured title number five. And, man, what a way to do it. They were trailing in this one. Was it 20-10 to 10 when I, I was 20 checking? 27. 20-7, yeah. Yep. They're trailing. They score 31 unanswered points against Julia Catholic. To grab the win here. I mean, we've we've talked about Nazareth a little bit just because of the unique story coming into the playoffs, and they yeah. followed it through. They get the back-to-back state titles here. Yeah, it was 20 to 10 and a half. Maybe that's what you're thinking okay, of. That's probably time, what I'm thinking of. At one yep. time it was at one time it was 20 to uh 20 to 7. But yeah, um 31 unanswered, led by their star quarterback, Logan Malachuk. He is fun to watch. Um, junior quarterback finished with 414 passing yards and four touchdowns. Uh, they, they played great on defense. They, I mean, look at, again, we talked about them being down 20 to 10. 
and the halftime adjustments that they made were just super impressive. Um, part of that, not to take it away from Nazareth, part of that was JCA's H.J. Grigsby. He was over 200 yards at half and then got hurt. Um, I think he did come back in. Um, he finished with 285 yards, but he was a big reason why JCA was up 20 to seven at one time. And then again, I don't, I don't know at what point in the game he got hurt, but that certainly impacted their, their performance. But in the end, it was more of, of just Nazareth, Nazareth coming back and they, they've got a great coach. Tim Racky adds another one to his collection. He was a previous head coach at Aston Driscoll, who we've talked about, about before. We'll talk about him here in a little bit. Uh, he now has nine state championships, Greg. So both he and the last coach we talked about, Derek Leonard of Rochester, now sit three behind Frank Lenti, who won 12 titles at Mount Carmel, and oddly enough, is an assistant now at, at uh, St. Lawrence. Wow, there you go. I did, that's great info there. I did not know that, Mitch. Um, yeah, it, impressive win here for Nazareth, and uh, just a, a kind of an intro, a wild story. It is their whole season kind of encapsulated it seems it proves again how good the catholic chicago catholic league is it really shows right. what they go through in the regular season to get to the playoffs that's the thing if you looked at what their schedule is like it's it's not that i don't think nazareth like came on late i think they just played really hard teams the first four weeks um and then you know if, if you remember what we were talking about last week they they lost to St. Francis in week nine for their fifth loss. Yep. And even then it was up in the air if they were going to make the playoffs or not. And then they come back and beat St. Francis in the, in the semifinals. So yeah, again, this is uh, history for, for Nazareth. Again, the first team to ever win with five losses. So certainly the worst record at eight and five to ever, um, uh, to ever win a state championship. So yeah, kudos to them. Malchuk was great. Roadrunners, uh, have a great program. I think they have a lot coming back next year too. So we could be talking about them uh, going for three straight. Uh, and Mitch, I saw the Roadrunner logo for the first time in a long time. And you're right. That wouldn't translate very well to a football helmet. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, with an interesting name like Roadrunners, they could do better. They could find a, they could get a cool logo out of that. So yeah. Is there, is there Roadrunners anywhere in college? Is there a college nick, nickname the Roadrunners? Putting you on the spot um, here. I feel like there is one, maybe at a smaller school. Is it UT San Antonio? Um, UTSA? You are correct. Look hey, you. there we go. Um, and their logo is good. I mean, it's like a, it's just like a bird head type yeah. of thing. But they've got, they've got an extended one that is more of a full on yeah. roadrunner type of thing. But yeah, they can, they can do better. Okay. Well, there we go. I, I saw it in one of your many, in one of the, Great congratulatory uh, graphics that you tweeted out. I, I saw the logo and thought, I yeah, almost, yeah. I almost didn't. I almost didn't use it because I don't like it. I almost <laughs> didn't use it, but and then I saw that IHSA was using it for their score bugs, so I said, well, I'll just use it. I guess. There you go. There you go. All right, Class Six A. Kerry Grove gets the win over Ooh. East St. Louis, <laughs> twenty-three to twenty. This was probably of the bigger schools of the bigger games, this is probably the one I was looking forward to the most just yeah. because it's such a contrast in styles where, you know, East St. Louis can spread you out, really do a lot of things offensively. 
Kerry Grove on the other side is going to run that triple option attack and really execute, you know, the deception and the ground game. And it was a great game a couple years ago. I couldn't wait for this matchup. And boy, did it live up to the hype again this year. I mean, that one two years ago is what they were talking about on the broadcast is probably the best state championship game of all time. I would agree. I was watching it live when it happened, and I agree. It was amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. This one. That's probably that's probably on YouTube for anyone who wants to go. And I'm sure it, it is. It's awesome. This it's awesome. one. Yeah. This one was every bit as good. I mean, it, you know, the sequel, maybe not as great as the original, but man, this game came pretty darn close. Tell us, give us yeah. the rundown on this one, Mitch. Okay. So, uh, East St. Louis had taken a lead on the third quarter. So this was towards the end, right at the end of the third quarter, Kerry Grove gets the ball back. So certainly, trailing heading into the fourth quarter Carrie Grove and that magnificent, beautiful triple option <laughs> offense um, puts together a 19 play 71 yard drive that took up 10 minutes and 41 seconds. It's incredible. Yeah. The, the drive as we shall call it, uh, Saw uh, sophomore fullback Logan Abrams run the ball nine times out of the 19. The drive only had one play that went over nine yards and saw two fourth down conversions by the Trojans, one of which had to bring out the chains to measure. So this was as dramatic of a drive as you could put together. All told sets up the game-winning score by Abrams with just over a minute and a half to play. It was a two-yard plunge to give them the lead. I think at that time it was 21-20, and then he got the two-point conversion as well. Um, East St. Louis gets the ball back. There was a pretty quick interception by the Trojans' uh, P.J. Weaver, and that clinched the title for him. I think – I don't. how did they win two years ago? Was it a fumble recovery, or was it, did they just stop him on fourth? I don't remember. I think um, that they, yeah, they might have had a fumble recovery. They had some kind okay. of defensive stop or, yeah, yeah turnover. Some, some yep. sort of stop, but yeah, so that they they do it again. So this is the, uh, the, the second time in three years over East St. Louis, as mentioned for the Trojans, uh, that, again, sophomore uh, Logan Abrams finished the game with 87 yards and two scores, so. If you can, if you can pull it up, I don't, I don't know if IHSA has these on YouTube just yet. If you, if you have NFHS, I think they are archived on there somewhere or on demand. Just fast forward to the end of the game and watch the drive. Like it's, it's just incredible. Well, I'll give a shout out to um, Gateway Sports Venue, who we've, uh, you know, talked about a lot this year. They cover East yeah. St. Louis. They covered Mount Carmel, the Golden Aces down in the southern half of the state. Um, they were there, and their clip, their um, video is on YouTube. So if you search Gateway Sports Venue, go to their Twitter account. They have it linked there as well. Uh, they have excellent highlights shot from the sideline. I watched that. Um, I went back and watched that the other night to kind of just see how it all played out because it's amazing. I should say, we should say too, that the the whole crew at uh, Friday Night Drive and Sock, or not Sock Media, um, yeah, Sock Media, um, they had guys on the ground for every game. So they always had, great clips from the end zone of touchdowns and things. So a uh, quick shout out to those guys too, because they did a great job. Yeah. It was uh, John Huff is who we've been talking to at uh, with gateway sports. And uh, he helped us out with some photos and uh, you know, he's 
set us up with the videos to, to watch. Great highlights that they pr- provide there. Man, I will say the the bummer, the discipline, I mean, a great game. Obviously, you know, t- another tough loss to Kerry Grove for East St. Louis. But the real bummer was um, Robert Battle, Pops, Pops Battle, the quarterback. He was in the game a couple years ago, I think, as a sophomore. Uh, this yeah. year as a senior, obviously been one of their playmakers all year long. He got hurt in this one and wasn't able to return to the game. So that was a bummer. Like you get to the end and it's East St. Louis trying to mount a comeback and you're down your, you know, starting quarterback. Um, that was tough to see in a game like that. But otherwise, I mean, again, hats off to Kerry Grove. You talk about, you know, Coach Seberg and Kerry Grove. That, that That is a master's class in how to run the triple option effectively under pressure, right? I mean, just with that much at stake, you know, with that much on the line in the state championship game to be able to just have the poise and the, you know, focus to make that many plays down the stretch, 19 plays to march downfield and to, to keep the clock running and to know that, you know, essentially, I mean, I think coach Seberg talked about it for Kerry Grove that as they were driving downfield, they knew this was it. This was their chance to take the lead and they were going to do it on that drive. If it didn't work, they, they may not win the game. So yeah, uh, the, the head coach for East St. Louis kind of made the joke afterwards that he, when they scored there in the third, he wondered if they had scored too quickly because oh, he knew geez. he knew what, what Kerry Grove could could do on the ground. So, yeah, it, again, it was just a, a great game to watch. Um, these two teams are, are putting on classics every time they get together. So it was fun to see. Yep. All right, let's get into Class 7A. Mount Carmel gets the win. 35-10 to 10 over Downers Grove North. Quarterback Jack Elliott accounted for 373 yards. Mount Carmel dominates their way to their third championship in four seasons. Their 15th overall. That ties them for the most all-time with Joliet Catholic. So great effort here from the caravan. Yeah, and this is, this is the game where the conversation really went off the rails. But Jack Elliott's been good all year. He's been a lot of fun to watch. I'm pretty sure he's a junior. Um, yeah, he is. So he'll be back. The caravan defense was, was really good in this one. Uh, they held down to North to just 161 yards in the night. And I think close to 60 of those came on the final drive of the game as time ran out. So, uh, you're, you're talking nearly under hundred yards of total offense from, from down Grove North. So this is the, uh, back-to-back championships in seven, a for head coach, Jordan Lynch bears legend. Um, <laughs> And yeah, again, what, what more can you say? They've, they've now won 15 times. Um, and yeah, it's, it was a, as expected, Mount Carmel did this to most of the teams that they played this year outside of uh, Loyola, who we'll talk about in a minute. Yep. Um, and just another a great year for a, for a great program. Yep. All right. Well, you just mentioned them. Loyola in the 8A state championship game, get the win 26 to 15 over Lincoln Way East. Ramblers repeat as 8A champions with first-year head coach Bo Deshereau. 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 All right. Sounds good. Uh, man, I was reading that in real time, and I got to that, and I was like, I don't know how that's going to sound, but there we go. Shout out to Coach, shout out to coach B. That's a, coach, coach B or Coach D, De- Deshereau. I don't know. That man. <laughs> They're a little bit out of our listening area. so Yeah, they ain't listening. They ain't listening. <laughs> anyway. He becomes the first rookie coach to win an 8A state title. So that's what I was trying to get to. So there you go. Congratulations to Coach Bo. There you go. 
Uh, yeah, Ramblers, second year in a row. Um, they, they tallied up 420 yards of offense. Didn't punt all night. Quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Fitzpatrick was fun to watch. 292 all-purpose yards and three scores. Running back Andrew McPherson had 120 yards and a score as well. Uh, fifth title in the program history for Loyola. So good on the Ramblers. All right. Well, that gets us through all of the games and how they played out. Mitch, now it's time for the most important uh, stat. How did the Uniview State Championship results go? I don't okay. think. Yeah, okay. I tell, yeah, I tallied these up. I went back and, and listened to the final part of the episode where we went through it. A couple side notes here. Number one, Byron went with the, well, sorry. These four teams went with different looks than what we had pictures for. Again, yeah. we, we don't know what they're going to wear, especially when teams have multiple sets. We're not, we aren't quite sure. We did pretty good, but some teams uh, wore something different. Uh, Byron went with their uh, orange helmets, as always, but they went orange top and black pant. Uh, I thought that they would go all black. Um, wasn't a huge fan because Kyle Kantmeyer, who was there, saw them warming up, walking onto the field. So we knew before they were on TV what they were going to wear. And when he said it, I wasn't too thrilled about it. Didn't look bad. Um, it, it's fine. I thought it looked uh, okay. Lawrence, yeah. Yeah. Um, St. Lawrence came out with a different look. They went, now I'm trying to remember, did they go yellow pant? Um, I'd have to look back and see. I don't. Uh... No, now I got to look. Yeah. Um, okay. I think, I think the picture that we had put up was um, black jersey, white pant. It was. Pretty sure that they went yellow pant. Yes. So they went yellow, black, yellow, which I thought, you know, Becca didn't. I thought it looked good. <laughs> okay. Um, and then uh, ESL went with a different look. We had them wearing all white, or and they we had, had them with. We had them in all white, and they had a. Did they have blue pants and a blue helmet? Yeah, I think that's right. Um. Yes. So we. I, I think you had the helmet options up there. Um, but yeah. They just wore, yep. Okay, we we can we can never tell what they're going to wear because they have a lot. And then Lincoln Way East, our picture had them wearing all white. Uh, they had blue pants, which we did mention that they had blue pants. Yep. Uh, and that's what yep. they ended up wearing. So I stand by, I stand by my pick that Mount Carmel looked fantastic. The game didn't go their way, but they looked really good in yeah. their all white set with that gold helmet. Yep. Um, okay. So there's that. So now we go back to the results. One of us, Greg, went five and three. The okay. other one went three and five. And yeah. I'll let you guess. Who won? I'm thinking that you went five and three. I sure did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the winning picks here were, uh, were CPC, Nazareth, yep. Cary Grove, Mount Carmel, and Loyola Academy. You had correct CPC, Rochester, and Loyola Academy. Oh, man. Yeah. Fell a little short in some of those. It's all right. It's all right. I still stand by, stand by my Mount Carmel choice as the best uniforms out there, though. Uh, Mount Carmel Southern Mount Carmel Southern Illinois yes where where I or I think I said Mount Car Mark Carmel Chicago had the best so um you said St. So yeah, Lawrence you, you said St. Lawrence that's your team oh man. did I oh I, that's right I said it was close to Mount Carmel that's yeah, right. yeah, I'm yeah. Sorry. yeah um all right well congratulations you Mitch go. you got it I win <laughs> I win absolutely nothing yeah so. well the praise of I guess me and maybe the listeners I don't know so 
All right. There you go. There was, uh, there was our results from Friday and Saturday. Um, all, all in all, I don't, what surprised you most, Greg? Um, what surprised me most was, um, looking down the way, um, not honestly, like not surprised by camp point central. I, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's tough think, because it I wasn't, we, I think we, I think we said that. I thought we said that we wouldn't be surprised if they won. Yeah. Um, I, that result, I thought it would be a great game and it was, I guess maybe surprise would be that they were able to shut out Lena Winslow, but I think, you know, congratulations to them on getting the win. That didn't surprise me. I would say in the two a game, um, Wilmington's performance did really surprise me. Like holding Athens to three points, obviously Byron was that stood out to me as just a dominant as a complete domination. Um, and then, um, you know, looking down the rest of the way, I mean, I guess maybe Carrie Grove going 19 plays to take up almost the entire fourth quarter. That, yeah. I mean, not surprised they won because they'd done it two years ago, but the way they did it was really impressive. Those are some of the big headlines for me. Yeah, I think it's the same for me with Byron. Like, I'm not surprised that they won. I'm not surprised that they won by a lot. What What was that score at half? Like, was it 49, nothing at half? Like, yeah, it got really, it got really out of hand in the second quarter really quickly. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I expected that. I, I, I thought Byron would win. I thought they would win easily. I don't think I saw that coming. Um, so in, in terms of surprises, other than the bears, uh, holding on and, uh, kicking a last second field goal, I think they're still kind of throwing the ball around. Let's do this in real time. The Vikings are doing some <laughs> sort of, all right. They're still kind of around. Now there's a flag. I think it's over. No, they're still throwing the ball around. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is like a circus. This is an absolute circus. They're not finding running room, no, are they? Okay, there has got it. Okay. I think it's over. There's a flag. Anyway, <laughs> uh, there's win 12 to 10. Um, if, if I had to pick one thing that surprised me, probably the way Nazareth won, I, I guess. That was, um, yeah, I was just going to say, yep. I thought JCA would win that game. I don't think I was surprised by any winners other than that one. Um, we didn't, I don't think we really went through and predicted who we thought would win each game. We normally don't do that for anything, but yeah. Um, I would have said, I thought JCA was going to win that game. So that probably surprised me uh, the most, but you know, um, they were all great games. It was, it was again, fun to see started off great um, with, with that Camp Point Central Lena game really, really hard hitting game and just uh, continued on from there. So fun weekend. It was overall. Yeah. I thought it was a good weekend. I thought there was a lot of good football, a lot of impressive performances. Not every game was close. Not every game is necessarily down to the wire, but I thought even in some of those games that weren't as close, there were some impressive performances that could really stand out to really, you know, yeah. to really enjoy and appreciate. So, yeah. all right, well, let's take a quick break. Thanks some sponsors. And then we're going to get into it. Private. Yep the private versus public debate discussion. Let's break it down. Let's talk about it. Give some of our thoughts. We'll be right back. Brink Sportswear offers totally custom made-to-order football uniforms that allow coaches and athletic directors to take control of their brands. The uniforms are available in sublimated and tackle twill. 
They offer free digital mock-ups, free shipping on team orders, and free physical samples before you buy so you know exactly how you're spending your program's money. Uniform sets start at $99 for sublimated and $120 for tackle twill. You can find them on Twitter or go to brinksportswear.com. View from the West podcast is also sponsored by the Cupcake Cartel, gourmet cupcakes that are made to order. Over 40 flavors, including wedding cake, lemon blueberry, strawberry milkshake, snickerdoodle, and Oreo. Perfect for weddings, birthdays, showers, fundraisers, or any event. You can find the Cupcake Cartel on Facebook. We thank them for their support. The Quad City's first and only fantasy football show, for fantasy's sake, has you all covered when it comes to all of your fantasy football needs. The guys come to you live every Sunday morning during the football season from 10 to 11.30. They've got the best analysis, rankings, DFS, and gambling advice between the Rock and Mississippi Rivers. So tune in to For Fantasy's Sake every Sunday during the football season from 10 to 11.30 a.m. on Facebook and YouTube. Welcome back to View from the West podcast. All right, so we've broken down the winners and the results from the state championship games, Class 1A through Class 8A. We had some public school teams win. We had some private schools win. But Mitch, either way, the results were coming out. The debate, the debate was raging on Twitter, as always. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I said it earlier in the show that it, it kind of started late Friday night, but that was more towards public schools, and we'll get into that in a minute. But then the 5A game started it, and then once you got into the Mount Carmel game, it was well on its way. Um, add in some post-game interviews, some post-game coaches' comments, just throws fuel on the fire, and it was – out of control pretty quickly on Saturday night. Yeah. I mean, really no shock that this time of year, this conversation gets brought up, right? The debate yeah. between yeah. public schools and private schools playing in the same state championship postseason, or people saying that they should be split up playing in separate, you know, playoff pairings. If I'm being honest, I hate this conversation every year. It just, it just exhausts me. I don't, I don't know any other way to describe it. I, I don't know why it just wears on me every year. We have this same debate. I really didn't even want to waste time on it in this episode, but I don't want people to think that we're simply ignoring the conversation. So I think right. it's important enough for us to jump in here and maybe, you know, put out some facts and figures and just kind of talk through our stance on the whole thing. If there's, if there's one thing that I just kind of kept seeing, um it, and look it starts with with one person who goes unnamed who is an assistant coach at a school who will be unnamed that lost to a state champion that will be unnamed and you put something out there and the retweets start coming and all of a sudden everyone's got an opinion on this thing uh, again it, it got out of control pretty quickly to me it's either they're just complaining with no viable solution, not even offering one, just kind of pointing out what they think is a problem. Or they're presenting a solution that would be or potentially would be worse for them than what they have right now. It seems like it's a lot of sour grapes. Um, it seems like they're 
their frustration is misguided and it just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's again, it's a, a situation where you don't have to put out your opinion, right? Like, I don't know. It's, I've been trying to think about this for the last three days and it's just, they're, they're, they have some points to be made, right? There, there's, there's pros and cons of this conversation for both schools, for both types of schools. But that, that doesn't mean that one way is the most perfect way because, you know, there, there's a butterfly effect of whatever you do. One small change is going to affect a ton of things down the road. And I just feel like, when this conversation gets brought up and the, the loud crowd, right. Don't understand or don't have a solution in mind. They're just complaining that something didn't go their way. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I I get it. I mean, I understand, um, you know, when you look down year in and year out, historically, when you look at the, private school versus public schools when they meet up in the playoffs usually it's the private schools winning more of those games mm-hmm. but on the flip side when you look back at who won state titles this year public schools won five state titles private schools won three state titles and when you look historically back at state champions since 2010 i give a shout out to Kyle Campmeyer from nuicfootball.com he put this list together so state champions since 2010, public schools lead 66 to 38. And in that one through 8A classes, the only two classes where the private schools have won more is 5A and in 7A. And in class 7A, it's only seven to six. So it's a really right. close margin there. And now getting back to the people who are, you know, the loudest, you know, vo- voicing their, you know, displeasure with the way it plays out i know for a fact one of them is a 5a school so obviously they've seen it you know the most here because their class 5a's hit the worst they've had 10 private schools win state championships to public schools three so yeah i get why they're frustrated right i mean when you start looking through our area we've seen you know i see catholic get wins over teams in our area princeton in the last Mm. few years Lombard Montini got a win over Princeton this year. Going back before that, going back years past, IC Catholic, when they were down in smaller classes, ran through some teams from our area um, on their way to, I believe, one of their first state titles. Um, We've talked about, you know, Joliet Catholic or Providence running up against Rock Island in the playoffs. It's certainly, I get it. I understand the frustrations when schools like, you know, schools from a bigger area are playing down in a class, which is usually defined by smaller public school communities, right? I get that frustration, but I think in the big picture, we need to really look at the best ways to create, to balance it all out, to create a level playing field. And I don't think we'll get into it, but I don't think the best way to do that is to divide them up and do a public school tournament and a in a private school tournament that's not the solution here no i i don't think so and we've we've talked about this 
in the past this this topic and we've always been pretty pretty hard set on that that is not the solution um there are states that do it they have completely different demographic makeups so it, it's hard to say well they do it in texas they should do it in illinois well it's not that simple um the makeup of schools is different populations are different metropolitan areas are different um but i, I think for me when i was digging into this a little more you know this this conversation is happening in, in every single state and what i would say is that based off of that just kind of research that i could find illinois does a decent job here um of, of how they utilize multipliers and how they kind of have this this balance there are states that don't do anything about this they have no multiplier they have no competitive balance initiatives so if, if you think it's bad it could be a heck of a lot worse based on what some states already do and again we'll get into this in a minute the solutions that you're proposing create a different set of problems yep. so I don't think we need to reinvent the wheel here every time Mount Carmel wins a championship and a public school gets mad about it. You have a point that that you have to ensure that competitive balance is there. But again, we're not we're not talking about having to restructure IHSA football because of this. Fine tune it and make sure that the algorithms or or whatever or the rules for playing up or playing down or classifications, fine tuning that. Sure, absolutely. But it's just these these teams that are asking for this, and, and, and eventually it will get brought up to a proposal. This will get brought up to a vote, no question. Someone is going to create a proposal. They're going to get a bunch of schools together, and it'll have to be voted on, and we'll be talking about it again. But it just, I don't know. It, it's, we don't need to reinvent the wheel here. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, as we – talk about this and you look at our coverage area, a majority of our coverage area is smaller public schools, you know, right. smaller community public schools. That's what we're talking about. So I'm, I don't know, but I'm guessing there are a lot of people that, yeah, they probably get frustrated with, you know, the private schools that come in and beat their schools. I get it. I'm sure there are those frustrations, but we'll kind of talk about all of it here. Let's get into, yeah. it was really interesting to see um, Michael O'Brien from the Chicago Sun-Times was uh, a sports reporter, is a sports reporter, who was there all weekend. He talked to Derek Leonard. Don't want to be in his, don't want to be in his mentions. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was there, talked to Derek Leonard, the state champion head coach from Rochester. And he also talked to Jordan Lynch, the state champion head coach from Mount Carmel. So... Interesting. We'll start with Rochester's head coach, Derek Leonard. Interesting to hear yeah. his side of things because he understands and has seen it. He's seen both sides of the argument. He attended Sacred Heart Griffin and now coaches against Sacred Heart Griffin and has done so for years when his dad was coaching at Sacred Heart. His dad just retired. Ken Leonard just retired, but they've been going yep. back and forth for years. For, for me, looking at what he said, I think it'd be really easy for him to make excuses that, you know, they had to play Sacred Heart Griffin 
year in and year out. In the regular season, they played him again in the postseason, and they lost to him in back-to-back semifinals. But he was yep. very, you know, he didn't he didn't weigh into that. He didn't lean in either way because he sees both sides of things. He said they're willing to play anybody, right? And you yep. look back at their playoff appearances. They played Belleville Alta four out of five seasons from 13 to 17. They went three and one. One of those wins was only a one-point win, 48-47. They beat teams like Bloomington Central Catholic, Breeze Modern Day. They beat Rock Island Alleman in two state title games in 2010 and 2012. So that's a program in class, usually 4A or 5A, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if they were in 5A at one point. They're down in 4A now. They've consistently gotten the job done. Nine state, cha- right? Nine state championships for Coach Leonard. I don't know. Yep. Yeah. And they've had to go through private schools along their way every year. Now, I will say it's not the Mount Carmel's or the Loyola Academies of the world. And I think maybe we'll get more into it in a second. I think that's part of the issue here is that there are several Chicago suburban Catholic schools that maybe are a bulk of the issue, but then everybody lumps in all the private schools together. Correct. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I said, it's, it seems like, and again, it was when Mount Carmel won. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just people getting frustrated by seeing Mount Carmel win all the time. And that's, and I understand that, but again, it's, it's not, doesn't mean that it's this huge problem that they make it out to be. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, at the end of the day, Rochester and Derek Leonard, he was, you know, he was on both sides of it. He was not, you know, adamant that, that the private schools that they're playing have an unfair advantage. He seemed, you know, more than willing to go up and play anybody. And they've had a lot of success playing a lot of schools. Then again, they've lost the Sacred Heart Griffin in the playoffs a couple of times, you know, so, and they've lost to him in the regular season, I'm sure. So, you know, there, that is what it is. On Jordan Lynch side of things from Mount Carmel, his comments, I think, were pretty misunderstood on Twitter, including myself. I did not really understand what he was going for in his statements. Yeah. Michael O'Brien wrote an article in the Sun-Times, which really kind of clarified it. And he, what Lynch said was that Catholic schools don't know where their next meal is coming from and the public schools do. Now, I think a lot of people misinterpreted this to mean that kids who attend a private school are literally fighting for the food they're going to eat. Like they don't know where their meals are coming from. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that public school enrollment is guaranteed. Private schools are not. So when you start looking through historically, perfect example of this in Illinois is Addison Driscoll. They were the, they were honestly one of the state's biggest villains when it came to private schools, winning multiple state championships. And then in 2009, the school closed because of low enrollment and limited funds. So to Lynch's point, one of the most dominant programs this state's ever seen could not maintain enough students to keep the doors open. So I get it. You know, People can be mad about private schools and perceived advantages, but try telling that to somebody who went to Addison Driscoll, right? Right. Yeah, shout out to the Highlanders, by the way. Great nickname. <laughs> um, but but yeah, that you said it right. That that if you if you just read his and and Michael O'Brien, who interviewed Lynch, was quick to point out what Lynch was saying. Um, so 
So kudos to him for kind of clearing that up because if you just read that quote, if you let it you, read it literally, yes, it right. sounds yeah, yeah weird. It, it was it was uh, a bad analogy. Um, it w- wasn't the right analogy to to use, but it was minutes after a state championship game. Like sure, he, yeah, he fault a coach for <laughs> for using a bad analogy in that environment, but um, yeah, he's he's right. Um, they're just because a, a private school charges tuition, raises money, whatever, it, they're not, you know, they're not free of issues that come up every year that public schools don't experience. Um, and, and that's, that's what he's talking about. So yeah, I, I, I get what he is saying here. Um, I can also see where the, the public school side can take issue with that. But again, as Driscoll's the, the perfect example, like you mentioned, the, they closed due to low enrollment, low funds, and with like eight state championships. Yeah, right. I mean, right. Um, and it was shortly after those state championships had, you know, they had just snapped the streak right. a few years before that, and then they were done. So right. If if they were recruiting all of this talent, you know, it wouldn't be a problem. If they were pulling in the kids to make it work, it would they would still be open or what you know, whatever, however you want to see it. But and there could have been other issues that is Driscoll. I, I don't know. But um yeah, I again once once you clarified or once Michael O'Brien clarified those comments. It it got a little bit easier to swallow what he was trying to say. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I want people to understand that years ago, Addison Driscoll annoyed me too, right? The big suburban school that came into these smaller communities and were winning football games year in and year out, winning a lot of football games. That's the extreme example, right? Like they were, like I said, they were one of the biggest villains at the time because of what they were doing. That's the extreme example. No other program has replicated to that extreme what they were able to do. But yeah. to my point, even in that extreme, even in all that winning, it wasn't enough for that school to stay open. So I think we, we right. have to clarify, there are things that can be done to try to balance the playing field, but we'll get it more into why it's not separating them out. So they won, they last won their, sorry, they won their last championship in 2007. Uh, trying to do some quick math. 16 months later, they announced that they would close their doors. Yep. Yeah. And I remember it was a huge deal. I mean, it was, it was a big deal. And, and don't get me wrong. Like they went up against some teams that I would have loved to seen have that playoff run and they didn't, you know, they fell short to them, but yeah, that's the extreme outlier and they still, you know, couldn't couldn't keep the doors open. So, right. Well, Mitch, give us a little bit of like, you know, big picture context here. You did a lot of okay. research on what other states do. Yeah. And what works, what doesn't work. Yeah, so a little bit of background here. Um, I found this article. Um, I think it was on NFHS as a matter of fact. Um, and I, I do not remember when, I think it was written in 2019. So some of the stuff that we might talk about is, or what states do might be outdated, but at, at best you can take it for what 
other alternative options are or what other states have done in the past, whether they do it now or not. Um, but a, a poll conducted in March of 2017 in an issue of High School Today revealed that 21 state associations use a multiplier or a plan that levels the playing field amongst their schools. Included in that would be Indiana, which has a tournament success factor, Oregon, which uh, adopted a social and economic status factor, and Ohio, which is where I am, have the competitive balance plan. There are states that do not do, or I'm sorry, there are states that do public and private separately. We talked about that a minute ago. Uh, Louisiana has done it for a while, Texas, New Jersey, and, and there, there are probably other ones, but as of uh, October of this year, last month, Oct uh, sorry, Georgia voted to do the same. Alternatively, there are two states in particular, Kansas and Wisconsin, again, amongst others, that have no competitive balance initiatives. This has resulted in more private school championships, despite making up a smaller majority of the schools in the state winning state championships. For example, in 2017, private schools in Kansas made up only 7% of the Kansas High School Athletic Association and won 23% of the state championships that year. Um, so if you take that, right, that kind of tips the hand for private schools where they do have that sort of competitive edge because there's no balance. You could look then at the schools that do public and private separately. And I'm going to talk about uh, Louisiana uh, specifically because what they do and again, they have, I think it's 404 schools in the Louisiana High School Association, whatever it's called. 108 of them are private. So you are literally taking a fourth of your schools out of the rotation. They play in their own separate league. I think it's called Louisiana Select or something. They control everything about that. They control the scheduling. They control the sponsors. They control playoff uh, sites. Everything. All under the umbrella of, of Louisiana High School. But they are if essentially, and this is what I think is going to happen in college football, they're essentially their own entity. They can operate however they want. They do not need to abide by the other, whatever rules the uh, public schools adhere to under the Louisiana high school umbrella, Louisiana select doesn't need to. It's a whole different ballgame. That's the extreme that you could get to. Not suggesting that Illinois schools would do that. I'm just saying that that's a reality that happens. So, so two wildly different types of things here. Yeah. Um, in the same article, uh, again, from 2017, they talked to, I don't know if 
if Craig Anderson is still the executive director of the IHSA. I don't think so. I think he just retired. Yeah. Okay. Um, Craig Anderson said that there's only so much that his, I just say, uh, his association's multiplier waiver or success factor can do when there remains a perception that private schools must recruit to survive. And this was his quote. Due to private schools needing to recruit students, and again, this, this is not just athletes either, right? There are many other students that make up a private school than just athletes. Many times getting affluent families who choose to come, those same affluent families are able to provide a lot of resources to students in the form of participation, lessons, and all those things that help a student become skilled at particular sports. He went on to say the watchdogs of our public schools always feel like there's an advantage at the private school level because of the clientele that they're able to attract and the geography of which they're able to attract students. I think at the core, this is what creates this public and private struggle. He goes on to say, we've been able to work together with private and public school administrators to figure out a way to have more non-boundary schools programs be relieved of in the thoughts of the private schools, the punishment of where they are classified and as a result, fewer non-boundary schools are being multiplied or success factor adjusted. Philosophically, it continues to be a question as to what extent do non-boundary schools have an advantage and as a result, need to have some kind of multiplier or success factor implemented for sports programs. Discovering what that is continues to be a moving target. And for probably 25 to 30 years within our association, we've seen that evolve in all kinds of different directions. Yeah, that is a lot to digest, but I think it speaks to the fact that the IHSA is actively looking at this. And I believe that over the years, they're trying to get it right. Wouldn't you say? And I think by the way, uh, Anderson might still be with the IHSA. I, I, I think okay. I was trying to look it up, whether he retired or somebody else retired either way. Yes. I think this, wouldn't you say, I mean, this, that right there, all you just read speaks to the fact that the IHSA is trying to get this right. Yeah. Um, and the IHSA website still lists him as the executive director. Um, again, I don't, I don't know if he, if that's recent news that he's retired or whatever, but yeah, it, it shows that they are taking into account both sides of the story here. Um, because for as much as the public schools are kind of saying, hey, the, the private schools have this advantage. Well, you're also going to hurt those private schools if you, if you shift the balance too far. And that's not a fair thing either. And, and that's where that the struggle exists. You, you, you try and find something that is the best of both worlds. And that's where I say, for the most part, it's, it's not, it's not terrible. You, you have a couple of situations. Like I don't think Altoff should be in one a, but that's a one-off type of thing. Maybe Bloomington central shouldn't be in two a, but, but again, for the most part, 
um, they're figuring it out and, and they know the issues that, uh, that, that both sides have brought to the table and they're trying to figure it out. So uh, again, there are extremes that other states go to that create a world of problems that the IHSA does not have. And I don't think that's where, I think that's where we would get to if some of these suggestions from those who are complaining about it, if they got their way. Yeah. I So looking back, 20, 2004, I believe is when they put in the multiplier. So that's when they started using the 1.65 to adjust. The IHSA would then adjust enrollments based on that 1.65. And from there, they, in 2011, that was when they added in the waiver. And the waiver initially was working on six-year intervals. And it was based off of, if you hadn't had a certain amount of success, your multiplier would be waived. So then you'd play at your, just your straight enrollment. Now, I think that that's then since been adjusted and the waiver rule went down to four years. And then I think what really kind of screwed things up is they moved it to two-year enrollment cycles. Now, when you start talking about the two-year enrollment cycles and who qualifies for the waiver and who doesn't, what things really got screwed up was when one of those years in the two-year enrollment cycle was 2020, where we did not play football. So obviously, mm-hmm. no one was getting credits for playoff wins. So that's what dropped a lot of these teams down because they were playing at their normal level then. They were playing without the multiplier. So I think at the end of the day, for me, the waiver is kind of what screwed things up. I think if you if you get rid of that, I I have no problem with the success factor, which is added in to if you make state championship games in consecutive years, then you get bumped up an additional class. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. I think that's good to leave in place. I don't think we need to have the waiver in there. I think if you're a private school, I think to attempt to level the playing field, we can add that, that multiplier is in all the time. So I mean, right. Would you go that? I mean, you agree with that? Yeah, I I think so. I think there's an element to this where it's because of that kind of lost year, quote unquote, we're still waiting for the other shoe to drop a little bit the way that it's set up right now. Um, Yeah, I, I, the the waiver is what it is, but, you know, having that success factor, I I think is the big part of this in that you are asking the successful programs to bump up if it's, if it's warranted. Um, looking at what other states do, they're, they're all different. You, you would see some schools uh, or some states do a, a 2.0 or double of the enrollments. Okay. If, if you're private, same or single gender schools, which, um, again, it, to, to fine tune it, it, it probably takes a combination of a few things, but 
I just, I go back to it being like, I don't know. Yeah. I've, I've tried to wrap my head around this for the past couple of days and yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to take yeah. in and it's a lot to understand where, where are the perfect, what, what's the perfect multiplier number, right? I don't know way back when how the IHSA came up with 1.65. I don't know where they got that exact number from. Does that need to be adjusted? Does that need to be bumped up a little bit? So you ensure that some of these bigger schools coming out of these bigger metro areas, you know, with enrollments that are on the cutoff, are they going to be bumped up? And the other question is, what's the perfect formula? We'll talk more about it. There's some discussion about, you know, is it better to go back to the old football enrollment where you your class is determined by the enrollments of your opponents during the regular season? I don't mm. think that's a bad option, but I've you know heard some you know counterpoints to why that wouldn't work too. So I, there's just there's ways I think you could come up with to balance the playing field. Yeah, um, I was. I was really intrigued by looking at what Ohio does um, because they essentially give a multiplier per student, public and private. And I, I don't know it enough to, to kind of talk about it. Um, but essentially it has to do with how long you have lived in a school district Um you would be given a, a certain like a, a tier one or, or tier zero. Um, and then again, so every, every student in, let's say every, every student that plays football in Ohio has a multiplier attached to them. Yeah. Based on different factors. And then that gets put into an algorithm formula and it gives each school an adjusted enrollment. And it, it might take something like that, right? Um, be, because you get the complaint that, well, these private schools can, and I'll talk about this in a minute, that private schools can pull from, what is it, 30 miles or something. If you, if you, if you tightened that a little bit or did something like Ohio where you're, you're pulling data on if these kids have lived in the school district or lived in the county um or went to that's another thing is that ohio each school has a designated feeder school both public and private they have designated feeder schools and if you were a part of that like before seventh grade that gets attributed to your tier so again th there's a lot of different ways that states have done it and I don't know how you ever know for sure. I don't think there is ever going to be a perfect formula. There never will be with, with the changing uh, demographics and changing enrollment numbers and, and, you know, everything that's, that's going, all the factors that can attribute to that are, are never going to go away. So I don't know that there's ever going to be a formula that perfectly has this correct every year and that's why i 
that's why this conversation needs to go to bed because it's never going to be perfect for everybody. Nothing, nothing in life is perfect for everybody. So just, uh, again, I, I think we're just looking at fine tuning a few things. And it seems like from everything that the executive director of the IHSA has said, they, they're taking that into consideration. Yeah. I think that like we've been discussing, I think there are ways to balance this out and it's not going to make everybody happy. You're, you're not, it's somebody's always going to have a beef with some part of this process, but I think there are ways that you can get to a competitive balance without splitting up public and private schools. At At the end of the day, Texas does it. Texas splits public and private, correct? Yes. And I think, and a, yes, they do. And I think a big portion of the reason they can do it is there are a lot more schools, a lot more private schools. So it, it, it works okay for them. It works better for them. I would think I don't, it, it's not the right solution in Illinois because there's not enough private schools and it just, the way you end up sorting out one division where you're talking about, you know, Mount Carmel, Loyola, and some of those other bigger schools being tossed in with teams we'll talk about from our area. The big one that stands out, Sterling Newman. Um, it just, it's not, it's not the right fit for the state of Illinois. There's other ways we can get competitive balance, which we just discussed. Yeah. The, the other thing too, just if you, if you use Texas, I think there's 12 million people fewer in Illinois than Texas. So yep. that's, that's what I'm saying. When, when the demographics are just completely different, you can't judge yep. Yep. what they, Texas has six man football. Like, yeah, you can't judge what other states do because, you know, um, it's, it's just completely different. Yeah. And I think what's important. And again, I keep harping on it because I want people to understand that like, just because I'm not in favor of splitting up public and private doesn't mean I don't understand the frustration going back right. to go. I mean, going back to Addison Driscoll, when they beat Bureau Valley in the early two thousands in that state championship game, that bugged me. That really annoyed me. Like I, mm-hmm. I liked that Bureau Valley program. That was a ton of fun to watch that team. And they get to a state championship game against Addison Driscoll who's pulling kids from areas like Elmhurst and Lombard talk about how much bigger that area is that they can pull from compared to Manlius, Buda, these surrounding areas that make up Bureau Valley. That seems ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? That those two schools would be paired up in the same playoff field. And, and similar to IC Catholic when they were in three a and they could have dropped down into two a, there, there is a certain advantage to those schools being from a larger metro area compared to true small public schools that we see downstate. But the answer is not dividing them up. That's too simplistic to me. I think like we've discussed, the IHSA is trying to level the field and the system needs to be fine-tuned. It's, it, I, it's not perfect right now, like we've discussed. There are ways that it can be improved. And even if you improve the system, I think what's important to note is that private schools are still going to win some of these games. That's not an indication of a broken system in itself, just because the, you know, the numbers aren't playing out the way that you like, or the, because the private schools are winning. Right. Well, and the opposite of that, 
so <clears throat> getting to my kind of points that I wanted to bring up. Um, just a, a few of the many. Yeah. Altoff, Ottawa Marquette, Breeze Modern Day, Quincy Notre Dame, Newman, Bloomington Central Catholic, Lombard Montini, Icy Catholic, Peoria Notre Dame. All of those except for Icy Catholic lost to a public school in the playoff. I don't think any of those programs are sitting around complaining that they lost to a public school and are advocating to go all private. I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a second. Um, and so, and again, those are four a or lower. Yep. Who would get hurt the most by going by splitting up? That was my point is yeah, that those schools then there's, get, and there's, and this, this goes to public too. And I'll get into that in a second too. There's not enough schools to do that and remain competitive. Absolutely. Um, I'll get to that in a second. Let me, let me bring up personal experience here. Um, as, as I've talked about a million times on this show, Morrison graduate, public school, played Newman all my life. I never thought, and uh, this is 18 years later, I, I don't remember what I thought at the time, right? Looking back at it now, I hope this is how I thought. I never thought that Newman was a great program because they were a private school and they could recruit. I never thought that. I might've said that when we lost to them, right? <laughs> I, don't think I, ever meant, I don't think I ever meant it. I thought they were a great program because Mike Poposi coached there. I thought they were a great program because they had the blue machine mentality throughout all of their grades. I thought they were a great program because they were well-coached, well-trained, well-developed for a long time. I never was upset that maybe they pulled a kid from Dixon. I didn't care. It, it didn't matter to me, right? We wanted to beat Newman because we wanted to beat Newman, not because they were the, the private school on the block. And I think that's that gets lost a lot, um, that we – we discredit some of these private schools and that's not fair to them. Um, and where the, where this comes into play a lot, right. We're talking about the teams five, a through eight, a we're talking about Chicago. Okay. And this is not, not all private schools are, are Catholic. It's, it's not about a religious thing, but Chicago is the second most Catholic city in America. Okay. It's not out of question to think that some of these private programs are made up of kids that grew up together, that went to the feeder schools for these schools together. Um, it's, and, and I just said to it too about Newman, it it's also seems that it's inconceivable to some of these people who complain about this, that those same private school teams aren't just really good that it's inconceivable that they are well coached, well trained, well developed. Can't be. They, they recruit. There's no way. You're discrediting that. 
those are those are programs with long sustained success with with coaches that are are legends in the state why 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 do you think that i mean what it's not impossible to think that coach coach leonard sent it with rochester because even rochester freedom public school people are complaining that or, or suggesting that they recruit kids to rochester well here's this kindergarten picture from the starting quarterback from from rochester elementary yeah and speaking of that um <laughs> this is this is what started happening on friday during the rochester game and even before that i should say even before that because there's this one comment was talking about lee win yes suggesting that the multiplier should be applied to public schools because they do so well <laughs> it's yeah what are we talking about <laughs> you think lee win should play 2a football because they've won the last three 1a titles that's not how this works. Yeah. And that's has, just, has that yeah. person been to Lena? Well, no. That, that, is, <laughs> that discredits everything that yeah. Coach Rick Aaron and that entire staff has done. A community, and this, this goes for a lot of communities that we cover, a community that is entrenched in dedication to the sport. And I just can't fathom that. They said it about Byron. And they Byron, and Byron has, the most, has, has the most dominant season in, in history. Yeah. Well, they, they better move up to 4A. Why? Well, and that's that's Why? ridiculous. That's ridiculous in itself because we just said Byron, this was their third state title in school history, correct? Right. They've only won three in their entire school history. Like right. and and two of in the last three years, the other one was in '99. Yeah, I just like these these people just can't fathom the fact that a program can have the foundations of success, and it, it's just a discredit to those coaches, public and private. Yeah, and, and to punish them for being good is not the answer. That's yeah. To punish yeah to punish them in that way. To say that it, it's so short-sighted to just be that dismissive of success, right? right. On the public or the private school side of things. Either right. way, that, to be that quick that, to discredit successes right. is, is wrong. And, that, and that's, I, I don't know, part of that's probably a human element of emotion that we just, we have to think of an excuse anytime we don't, something, you know, that we don't want to happen happens, right? Yeah. It's just, I don't know. Here, here's my last point. Um, in, in a world of, of IHSA football that you have two separate divisions, right? You would see a decrease in revenue for public schools, both from regular season games, certainly playoff profits, um, tickets, concessions, parking, whatever. Um, and, and, and like, no offense to, to Princeton or to Quincy. I don't know that they get the crowds that they got in those games. If they weren't playing high profile private schools, 
Right? Yeah, that's a good point. If, yep. If Princeton was if Princeton was hosting a, a another three A program, one, uh, that program may not travel well, and two, your home crowd may not be as big because they don't have that sort of star factor like Montini did. There's a short list. People, yeah, there's a right, short list, right? People, right. How many people came to the Princeton Montini game? that would have also gone if Princeton was playing somebody else. There, there's a number. If there's, that name, there's a number of people who only came there because Montini was playing. Yeah. Now, if that name is Byron, was, sure. If that name is Byron, right. sure. But this is, it's a small list. Of course. It's a small list. Same, I, thing, to your same point. thing with Quincy. Same thing with Quincy. Having Mount Carmel come to Quincy was the biggest football game that's, that city has ever seen. I don't think if they play some other – if they would have played Wheaton North at home – they wouldn't have had that crowd. No That's chance. true. Mm-hmm. Yep. And again, I don't mean I don't mean that as a as a discredit to, to Quincy or Princeton. That's just right. That's yeah. Why people go to big college games, right? That's why more people would go to Ohio State, Michigan than they would Ohio State, Youngstown State, or something. If you split that up, that goes away. Here's and here's the other thing that I think. These, these advocates for change don't understand. Because of what we talked about, that the demographics of the state do not, the makeup is not there to do this. Yep. If you have a public school division, you are either A, lowering the competition so that teams that are two and seven or three and six make the playoffs. Because there's not enough good yep. teams to make the playoffs. Good, quote unquote, good. Or teams that meet the current requirements. Or B, because of that, you have to rearrange classifications and then you're playing bigger schools anyway. And then you are faced with the same problems you were just complaining about trying to fix. I hadn't thought about that part, but that's interesting. Yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, yep. it's a smaller pool. And so one of two yeah. things are going to happen. You're going to play worse teams. You're going to play bigger teams. Yeah. Again, butterfly effect. You change one thing. It is a domino effect after that. So. I yeah. Don't know. I um, think there are, yes, there are public schools, you know, fans, coaches, programs that feel slighted by some of these. I would say the majority of the, you know, the schools that are in question are probably Chicago suburban private schools, right? I would think that's where a bulk of the argument comes from. The the backlash comes from. So there are public schools that I get why they're frustrated, but in this world that we currently exist in, the IHSA is trying to balance the playing field. If you go with the splitting up of classes Right now, under this current situation, the public schools, the IHSA is trying to help out both public and private schools. They're trying Mm -hmm. to level the playing field. If you flip it and you divide them up, I think you absolutely bury schools that are on the smaller end of enrollments in private schools. You don't even give them, you don't give them any competitive chance where at least right right now, both public and private schools are trying to be catered to. You're trying to balance it out. If you divide them up, you completely bury those small private schools. Right. Not the, the, the job to pull in 
students to Newman has a heck of a lot more challenges than bringing them in from Mount Carmel. And then you want to group those two programs together in some sort of way or fashion, and maybe not that drastic, but say IC Catholic. Um, again, Ottawa, Ottawa, Mar Ottawa Marquette. Yep. Yep. There is such a thing as small private schools who can't pull from large areas. Yep. To to compile them with larger schools just eliminates any hope that that they would be successful. And I think at this point, the public schools are not without hope. The public schools are not being completely buried in this current scenario. There are steps the IHSA is taking to level the playing field, like I've said a million times. But when you talk about dividing them up, that completely eliminates, I think, any competitive chance for those smaller private schools. It just, it is what it is. It's, it's, it's just, you're doing a complete disservice to another group of schools that it would be completely wrong. And going back to Princeton, like, yeah, it, it, it's unfortunate that they have run into Montini. They've run into IC Catholic. Those games weren't runaways. Those were competitive games. Yep. So there's not a huge advantage between those two programs. Yeah. Yeah. One has, has won, but those are close games. So it's not yeah. like we have this problem that teams are just, there are these, these private schools are just coming in and at least at the three, a level and just cruising. Cause again, it's not there. So uh, I don't know. Again, I hate it. I wish, you know, I, I, I wanted Princeton to win those games so bad. We've, we were texting live during those, this game, especially yeah. this year. Like I wanted them to beat Lombard Montini so bad because I just, I want that for our area. I want to be able to brag about Princeton getting the job done and knocking them off. And it didn't happen. And I wish, you know, I wish it would. I, I you know, I don't like the team coming from the Chicago suburban area down here and, and beating our school. But again, I think there are other solutions besides just splitting them up and not letting that matchup happen. Mm, right. All right, Mitch, have we exhausted this conversation even more than it's already exhausted? Voice is gone doing this. <laughs> well, I appreciate anyone who listened to this. I hope that we gave you some good talking points, educated people a little bit on what could be the potential downfall of all this? I mean, I hope there's some people putting in a lot of, you know, foresight, looking way far ahead, not just being reactionary. I think that's what that's the worst part of social media, right? Is that everybody has an opinion and it's immediate reactionary right. and they just toss right. out ideas and just go. And once that ball gets rolling, it just builds up that steam, but it's, it's not always productive. And I, I don't think in this case, it's been very productive because this would not be a good thing for the IHSA. It would not be a good idea. And I, I hope that, I hope that wiser heads prevail and that we, you know, down the road, if this ever comes to a vote, that there are people making wise decisions, smart decisions for all involved. Right. So. Well, speaking of some of the decisions being made, Mitch, we do have some uh, district football talk. I don't think we're going to dive deep into this one. I'd rather talk about district football. Okay. I'd rather than, <laughs> than the crap we just went through. Yeah. Well, so the IHSA conducted 28 in-person 
and virtual town hall meetings over the past few weeks. An administrator from each member high school was required to attend at least one of those meetings. So everybody should be well informed by this point. The IHSA Legislative Committee met this week. They're probably wrapped up their meeting as we're recording this on November 27th to vote on proposals. If any of the proposals pass, they will appear on an all-school voting ballot. And voting would then take place from December 4th through December 18th. If a proposal is passed by the majority, it would then go into effect on July 1, 2024. So there could be a lot for us to discuss in the next couple of weeks, next month potentially. So stay tuned on that one. One of the proposals that was on there would remove the 1.65 multiplier and the multiplier waiver for all schools. It would get rid of that. It would be replaced by enrollments of non-boundary schools would be an average enrollment of all public slash boundaried high schools that are above that school's enrollment and within a 30-mile radius. So that's kind of a lot to take in there. But basically, any of the schools that surround you you become an average of them, of their enrollment, which is interesting. So we've talked about, you know, IC Catholic or Lombard Montini being surrounded by larger community public schools mm-hmm. that would, you know, looking at those type of schools, they would be affected. And in theory, I think bumping up a little bit. Right. Yeah. That I, that's too much math to try and, and figure out. But uh, again, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, again, without, without kind of seeing an example of five schools yeah. and how that would affect them, it, it's hard to say if this is a good idea or a bad idea. Cause I, I don't it's know. true. Yeah. And I, I can't run the numbers on schools in a 30 mile radius of any school, but it, would almost seem like you'd be bumping up a lot of private schools up to like the same class, right? I mean, in in theory, if, if you're, if you're pulling schools out of Chicago where 30 miles encompasses a lot of crossover with other schools yeah i feel like you'd have a lot of programs falling into the same sort of average enrollment i guess you would think that there's you know plenty of high schools around you know plenty of high schools there and that yeah any smaller private schools would be bumped up like like everyone in the chicago catholic league would be playing the same division because they'd all be they'd all be using like the same 30 mile radius that you'd be comparing the same schools against each other. You yeah, know what I mean? So maybe pretty close again, yep. without, without seeing it. I, I don't know, but yeah, it's a lot of math. We'll be interested to see how that one plays yeah. out. But ultimately I think that there are, you know, discussions being had every year. And I think the say is trying to get it right. Yeah. And there was other uh, proposals too. They're voting on like, yeah, absolutely. Just you yeah. had the one. And so, well, obviously, the big uh, one is district play, is whether we get away from conferences and move into districts. So right. and I'm eager yeah, to find out where that goes. Yeah, the one was was transfers, too. So, yep. 
yeah, well, yep. by the time that this show comes out, we might know the results of this, or we record this on Monday night. That's when the meeting was held. Maybe by Tuesday morning when this episode is uploaded, we'll have more information. But um, as of right now, we'll see what the next probably 24 hours uh, comes up with. Yeah. All right, Mitch. Well, we will certainly update everyone on those, you know, proposals and what's going to happen. But next week, next week's an exciting episode, Mitch. Are you ready to start yeah. handing out? What's Ooh, that? Back to the fun stuff. Back Are to you... the fun stuff. <laughs> there we go. Are you ready to start handing out the best ofs, the awards, the superlatives, as you call them? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have to we'll have to determine what we're going to do this year. Um, in the past, we've usually done a player of the year in each conference. Yep. Uh, we, we pull them together for a player of the year. Uh, we've done coach of the year. We've done game of the year. That'll be fun to kind of yep. go back and, and compile that list of games just to talk about them. Um, I don't know if I'm missing anything else. We might've added a defense last year. Did we add a special shout out to defenses last year? I think we gave a defense. We did a defense or a lot, an O line, something like that. So yeah. yeah, Coaches, coaches of the year, of course. Right. Coaches of the year. Um, So yeah, this this is, this is a fun episode. It'll be good to talk about football again and um, probably be, we talked about maybe doing a fantasy episode, but this will this will be one of our final football specific yep. um, shows of the year. So it'll be a fun way to wrap up the year. Yep, we'll do our. I believe this will be our. This might be our fourth annual best of because we we did an oh, awards probably. we did an awards episode for our uh, you know first year, which was that shortened football season in the spring of 20, 2021, I guess it would have been so. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so our fourth annual awards episode. And yep, like you mentioned, we'll also uh, maybe get back into doing a, a fantasy football type of draft here where we take all the players, all the numbers, compile them all together, and we'll, you know, do a do a mock draft. And we'll try to see who can select the best team out of the athletes we saw this year. That episode's a ton of fun. I want to I get back to doing that one for sure. Yeah. All right, yeah, Mitch. We good. Thank you for talking through all of it. Thank you to everyone who listens, who follows along. And uh, once again, Mitch, shout out to you for keeping everyone updated and informed on Twitter over the weekend. It was uh, it was a ton of fun. It was I know it was work for you, but it was great. I can I can tell you this: if we post this episode and our mentions start blowing up, I will probably not even bother responding to a lot of people. <laughs> Just you know, you need a little a little I don't break. Care. <laughs> <laughs> have your discourse i've said my piece i don't need to argue about it that's that's it there you go all right well if you want to argue with mitch go find someone else to argue with because he won't be go there find the nearest wall and stare at it <laughs> all right thank you to everyone we will see you next week when we're handing out awards that'll do it for this week's episode of view from the west thank you so much for listening I encourage you to go out to Apple Podcasts or Podbean and subscribe so you can follow along and downloads will come automatically every week. You can follow along on Twitter at ViewFromWestPod. You can also email me if you're interested in being a sponsor, ViewFromWestPod at gmail.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.